Hello and welcome to the Analytics Edge, sponsored by NetSpring. The Analytics Edge is a podcast about real-world stories of innovation. We're here to explore how data-driven insights can help you make better business decisions. I'm your host, Thomas Dong, VP of Marketing at NetSpring. And for today's episode, my co-host is Vijay Ganesan, co-founder and CEO at NetSpring. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Vijay. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Sanjay. That's right. Today's topic is data observability, and our guest is Sanjay Agarwal, co-founder and CEO at Revify. Revify offers a zero-touch, 360-degree data observability and monitoring solution for cloud data warehouses. And with built-in data load monitoring, their customers are able to reduce their warehouse spend by at least 20%. Sanjay, we're delighted to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Vijay. Great to be part of this conversation. I've seen you in action building uh, ThoughtSpot's uh, database and uh, other cool things that we did and always um, enjoyed the perspectives you bring to uh, data and analytics. And uh, I'm sure our audiences today will uh, enjoy hearing your thoughts. Yes. And speaking of ThoughtSpot, Remify is your second company you've now started. ThoughtSpot, of course, is now a $4.2 billion unicorn in the BI space. Our listeners would love to you know, hear your career journey and what motivated you here as a two-time founder. I think the best way to answer this is, you know, what really makes an entrepreneur, right? The DNA itself. So, well, I'm Sanjay. I'm the co-founder and Revi- uh, CEO for Revify. And uh, we started this company in the data observability plus plus. And we'll, we'll talk about that later in the space. Like it, it goes way beyond that. I think we were extremely fortunate. Like when we started ThoughtSpot and as part of the co-founding team, everyone who came in had an amazing entrepreneur DNA. And that's actually not a surprise at all that all of them, and there are no exceptions, have gone and started new companies. So to me, that's really, you know, an ideal, you know, person, a persona, a person who comes in with a strong entrepreneur DNA will always be builders at heart. And so when we, uh, in ThoughtSpot, after nine years, you know, we asked a simple question, you know, data stack, there are a lot more things to do. What else can we do? It's time to build again. And that's where you started our journey again. So this is why I'm here now at Revify. And so you mentioned data observability plus, plus, plus. So let's actually start out with a, a traditional definition or a classic definition of data observability, what it is and why should data leaders care? Yeah, so I would, uh, in fact, for this one, I would walk through, you know, what we saw. Like, I have spent my entire career in data space. Like, even for my, even my graduation was in databases when it was not considered as, like, really. Uh, the, at that time, people were saying networking and compilers, and those were the, the good, the, the hard things. But I really had a great time there. And then, after that, when I was at Microsoft Research, again, I was very fortunate to be part of an amazing database group there among the people who have actually give the, given this whole area the shape, which you see it today. Now, one thing we saw during our journey, whether we are building different technologies, like whether we're doing deep SQL query optimizations, whether we're building analytics at ThoughtSpot, what we saw was that while everyone really strives to be a data-driven organization, there are a lot of obstacles there, friction points uh, along the way. Like as a very common example, let's say I'm in a CXO meeting, I see a number and say, I'm going to use this to make some business strategic decisions. If the number matches what's there in my mind, I mean, it's it's there, no questions asked, nobody cares. And if it doesn't match, then immediately the, the, the direction is to say, you know, data must be wrong. 
Why don't we go and look? That never gelled with us. That if you are going to build a data-driven organization, how can it be, you know, something which is like a data for convenience kind of a model? It, it, it has to be something better. Like, for example, we don't jump and say, you know, if you don't see something expected that, you know, software is wrong. We don't go and say, you know, the CPU instructions are out of the way. Right? It's giving me something completely off. So why why is it what is it about data? Why cannot it be having have, why cannot it have the same the first class uh, fidelity and and uh, I would say trust. And when the trust is not there, you really it's, it's not the right uh, in our view. It's not the right way to build the organization. So what we saw was that you can give people the best data warehouses. You can build give them the best data you know, ETL ELT solutions, right? Analytic solutions, but. Uh, the bridge of trust, unless you build it, it's it's really going to hold you back as an organization. So for us, when we looked at the space of data, we said, here is a big need. And we are like, we have been data practitioners forever, and we love solving hard problems there. And so how do we help build the bridge, help, help build this uh, bridge of trust? And that's why we said, okay, let's, let's uh, this is really classic as a data observability or slash data quality for us. And, and once you have that, that is how you get the trust. So let's talk about data quality, right? You, you know, you go to any organization, you'll hear talk of data quality, right? It's obviously um, a, a problem that uh, that everybody faces. But how big of a problem is it? Uh, you know, is there a way to quantify it? When we were exploring this space, we, in fact, you know, we, we wanted to ourselves get a point of view, right? How important in this organization, how pervasive it is. And... One thing we found is it doesn't matter whether you are a Fortune 5 company, even like you can say Fortune 1 or 2, or whether you are like Fortune 500 or 2000, or you are a small startup. Everyone comes and says, you know, data quality is, is super important to us. Like there is clearly a big need. So we wanted to see, you know, how deep is it now? Now that we realize that everybody says it's a problem, and in fact, everybody has their own hats on, say, what it means to them. The question is how, how important it is for them. And what we found was there are two dimensions which we broke it into. One is that how much does it really cost an organization? Let's say there's some bad data which has come in to undo its changes and its impact. And the studies there actually shows that, and this was done in fact a few years ago, that on an average for an organization, it costs more than I think $10 million upwards of that. Uh, which means that, again, like different companies, different distributions, some will have a much, much larger impact. And, and the idea is, yes, it is very real. Wow, $10 million a, a year. for that's, that's Easily. I mean, uh, and that has, it has to, like, by the time, now I'm pretty sure it is way, way above it. Because in the last five to 10 years, everybody has been using data and they want to use data even more and more to make decisions. So it can, it can only increase. Yeah. And the, and yeah, and the second dimension, Vijay, which you sort of you said right, uh, if this number is not staggering enough. The other one is around the time dimension. So we generally have so much data coming in. Everybody wants to use data, and the small data teams like FCT strapped for resources, trying to make it all work. And what we found is that, and this is again like through studies, but also when we talk to closer to about hundred leaders in this space until now, we see that. You know, times it costs the team about half of their uh, time, like real wall clock time, trying to chase down issues related to data. And that really is another big thing because they should really be, what they should be focusing on is 
ensuring that you know right data is coming to the right team not really just trying to chase down issues uh, it cannot be just fixing things you got to get new stuff there and how are they building the right business processes and all so that the problem doesn't happen so the the point here is it's too much of a resource drain as well the time drain so that's why we said you know this is super critical we got to do something here and we are so 10 million dollars a year down the drain and 50% of resources and time spent on just quality issues and that's staggering uh but let's let's discuss this topic of why is it so bad right you know obviously data teams are they're smart uh you know they have resources so there's quite a bit of investment enterprises put into data machinery um and you know this data quality issue has been around for years right it's not something new and, and the numbers are staggering uh, but why is that why, why is it still such a big challenge in this day and age when there is so many tools and technologies and uh, evolution of uh, you know maturity of data stacks and so on so i would um, again like i wish i could tell you <laughs> that you know why <laughs> how it can be solved like trivially it's it's a very very hard problem right and let's walk a little bit uh, like so when the things were i would argue that if we walk back about 15 to 20 years the problem has always been there and i mean to be very fair it's we'll continue to see like in some shape and form because the need and the hunger for the data just continues to grow like more and more so but let's see you know the world about 15 years ago or 20 years ago there was um, so a very few number of warehouses like classically teradatas of the world oracles and controlled pushed into the warehouse very few pipelines informatical that sector of the world and very curated uh, even like reporting was curated and all now if we look now just we are talking to this company um, the the go to market team and we asked you all how many data sources do you use for just understanding you know the marketing uh, like things the the features slash signals there they're saying we are using more than 40 plus uh, resources which is like completely cloud api driven data coming from all over the place the world now is all about data coming in from all over literally i mean there's no other way to describe it there's a when it comes to the variety of data this the sources continue to grow i walk in a store that the person there you know they want to know where how much what has been my spending history uh, everything about me what's my likelihood of buying this right and, and the more fancy your store is the chances are the more they want to know and then it also dictates what they want you know how they how it the how the next step happens like when the person walks in the store and all of this this is all driven by data and imagine this right so much data coming in so much at fast like velocity there streaming data there is like everything around the universe a multitude of data sources the volume is just increased so much enormously and the need for the organizations to consume it is so high they want to integrate it all so i would say that uh, it's no surprise at all that uh, this problem of data observability and quality have caught on big time in the last uh, few years like more so in the last 3 to 4 years because it just mirrors what we are seeing in the industry as a need for the data in some ways we could rationalize that when the saas systems came up there was certain need for a certain class of observability systems data docs and new relics etc of the world came out this is about a decade ago and now we are seeing the same trend with the data observability 
Yeah, interesting. You talk about a number of SaaS tools uh, companies use, and you know we're a small startup, but I think Tom's team probably uses like twenty five tools already. <laughs> I think it will grow. I mean, I would love to know Thomas. I mean, Probably get to hundred. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly have a data observability problem here uh, in my marketing team. I think one other thing I'll just call out is that what we also notice now is that because we are like consuming this data like truly ferociously, like for the lack of better word. And so much shapes and forms. What we also see is that data has a very shorter lifespan as well. Which means that we also need to understand what data makes sense today. And also when it doesn't make sense, we got to kick it out as well. So that rigor and discipline is more and more needed, more so. Specifically because the number of stakeholders now dealing with data has grown like really by orders of magnitude. It's no longer a few data teams owning this. It's like everybody wants data. People can create their own pipelines as well. Everything has been democratized. So in, in terms of that, actually, with so many different stakeholders that you mentioned, organizational, who owns data quality? Is it just the data teams? What about the business teams who are um, trying to leverage that data? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, our belief is simple. Like we just look at, if I have to look at it from a practitioner point of view, right? Data, to me, a quality is a shared sport. Like in some ways, I always draw the analogy of, you know, how software lifecycle evolves, right? We have design, we have code reviews, then we have uh, naturally like uh, unit tests, then we have integration end-to-end tests, then we put it on canary in production, and then we observe what's running in production. And then we have all of these things going on. In some ways, if I look at the data stakeholders, it's again like very similar. Right? There will be data teams, some are responsible for getting data from your APIs or uh, Kafka or equivalent streams into S3 or pushing it into a data cloud data warehouse or somewhere else. Then some teams will pick it up from there and have it in their businesses. So I have a strong view is that data quality is a very, very strong and observability is a shared sport. Everybody is really plays a part and and the intent is they should all stay on top of this. They should all have a point of view of what quality means to them. And it has to percolate upstream to serve that purpose. Like, uh, yeah, and I think we can definitely dig deeper into that. So when you build Revify, that was one of the things we had in mind. But naturally, uh, I would say it's it's uh, it's not really a single place. And that's why it also makes it a bit much more, I'd say, much harder. Because now you have to make sure they have a single a unified point of view when they have a different ways of consuming the same information. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in this new data-driven uh, organization uh, that most of us are are in now. And obviously leveraging that data for analytics. And that actually brings me to my next question here. Uh, there's a saying uh, that perfect is oftentimes the enemy of good. Um, and this obviously applies to, to data quality when it comes to analytics in particular. Uh, oftentimes we hear our customers telling us, hey, you know, come back six months later after we solve our data quality problem. Um, but the reality is you probably don't need to wait for that. Like it can be an, an iterative process here where oftentimes your business people uh, are the best people to identify issues um, in your data. I would love to hear your opinion uh, on this uh, on this topic. Do you believe enterprises should wait for perfect data before leveraging it for analytics? So the short answer is absolutely no. (laughs) Unequivocally, no. It doesn't make sense to me at all. And the reason is straightforward, right? In some ways, 
when we see an outcome, we are able to immediately draw the conclusion if this is a problem and where it started. Unless we see something, it's very hard to draw that conclusion, right? So I am I'm a firm believer in the simple dictum, right? By the way, if you're in a startup, right, you know that uh, perfect is, is is not not what you strive perfection, right? You definitely strive for it, but you can't reach there by saying this is my this is where you know I have to be at all points. It's it's a journey. So if the one example which comes to mind is that when we are working with a with a with a customer, and this was about six seven years ago, and they were based in Europe. Um, the ThoughtSpot itself is an extremely visual tool, and it had concepts like Spot IQ, you know, which brought out, you know, is there something anomalous with your data right to your footsteps? And the, what was happening was that uh, they used to have this notion of weights on pallets, and there were few weights which were through the roof. They were actually three to four orders of magnitude larger than expected. And of course, that number was used in all their calculations, like average and all. But when they saw the, uh, when they brought the ThoughtSpot on board and it came out to them, then they realized, oh, this shouldn't even be there. And that is how, the point is that once you see an outcome, it is much easier for you to go back and reason out what's the right thing to do. So waiting for putting everything behind that, uh, like say six months, you know, let's for data quality to be perfect. The question is perfect for what? Right, it's, it's really so. If it's going to serve a purpose, a business purpose, you need to get them involved as soon as possible. And the way to do that is to create this holistic view. So I would say I'll never wait for six months. In fact, the idea is build an experience where they can see it quickly and they'll work together to ensure that it goes back to the shared sport model. Like they work together, they see something wrong, tell it to data, data teams have some questions, they go and ask the businesses. Get on this uh, virtuous cycle of learn and iterate as soon as possible. Great. Sanjay, let's talk a little bit about uh, solutions to the problem. Um, so clearly building a zero-touch data observability product is super hard. You know, what you're trying to do at Revify, you know, you, you talk about zero-touch data observability. Um, what makes zero-touch data observability uh, so hard? The analogy I draw here is, you know, where do you want to be as a company, right? If you want to take on easy problems, the easiest way is, you know, ask people to identify, hey, here is my warehouse, here are my tables. Pick what you care about. For each table, you know, find uh, the thresholds, set it up. If you get an error, you know, if it goes, just let me know. Like, that's to us, this is not observability. Right? This is really like absolutely level zero kind of an automation or level one at best, right? If I think of an analogy in the autonomous vehicles. But now where we want to be is not just take on hard problems, right? Because of course, like building a zero touch is a very hard problem because it, it pushes the onus of all the choices, everything to us. Like, and we have to know what's relevant, what's important and bring it to the user and when. Definitely a hard problem, but absolutely worth it. Because imagine the following, right? You have this warehouse, like data is changing. Manual thresholds and all, doing it all the time across everything, not even an option. We know what happens, right? People will set it up, then they will get a lot of alerts, then they say, I'm going to turn it off, right? Or make the thresholds like 10x more and see what happens next. That is not the way to build a incredible, like an awesome and usable observability system. Our approach was always that from days, like when we started, our mantra was, how do you make it delightful and tr truly easy to consume? 
We are here to save you time and money. That's what we tell the data teams. How can I save you time if I'm going to ask you for like weeks and months to set up a system? It doesn't make sense. So we said, we are going to take on this ourselves and see how much we can test drive the system, how much you can get without spending any effort from your side. So we have stayed extremely, extremely close to our mantra of zero touch. In fact, we draw the same. Uh, our thing is that we should be, we are in a level four automation. This is how we draw the, the, the analogy. And ideally, it should be think level three, level four at this stage, because that is what helps the teams. Because it, it really tells them, it puts them in a place saying that, hey, not only I know you're watching what I have today, you're watching it in a way where it makes sense. But I also know that when I bring more things in future, you're going to watch that for me. So for us, this was not really an option. And yes, we enjoyed taking on these problems because they're super relevant and hard. And uh, that's what Revify is all about. It's a great analogy, uh, level four automation in self-driving vehicles, which is an uh, incredibly, incredibly hard problem. So um, that's, that's a great analogy. Um, let's talk about data warehouses. Uh, you know, one of the trends that's happening, it has been happening for, for several years and continues to happen is this uh, movement towards uh, centralizing everything on cloud data warehouses like Snowflake, BigQuery, and so on. Right? Um, what does that unlock for data observability? One thing we, again, like data is all like, there's lots of data in the system. Like people will be collecting data, they're doing many things with it. But we started with a very simple conjecture. Like, where does it matter the most? Yes, it's a long journey for us. If a project, you know, a decade later, we want to cover it all. But let's talk about today. Let's talk about a year. So the question is, what matters most to the organization? And one thing we have seen as a trend is that if I look at cloud data warehouses, they have now become the de facto place, like snowflakes of the world, as you said, right? Redshirts, big queries. Data breaks, like, and then also Azure, right down the road, anything like this. They have become the de facto place where the businesses pull the data out and use it for a business purpose. So for us, like at Revify, it was a no-brainer. You say, I need to have data. I, in fact, want to reason out that does this data have a purpose? And the question is, we started by saying, does it have a business purpose? And our claim is that, you know, cloud data warehouse is the natural place to gravitate to for, for finding out such data. And that is what led us to start by simply saying that we are going to start with our, our monitoring says observability of uh, around the dimensions of quality and many other things along that for a data which resides there. And our goal is to reason out how did the data, how did it even get here? So once you know there's a problem, you want to know where it started and you want to reason out where is it going to because that tells us how important the problem if it's not going anywhere, your problem is not data quality. Your problem is data is absolutely inconsequential. And your first thing you should not be doing is trying to fix it, <laughs> is to actually remove the data out from your pipelines. So, so yes, I think cloud data warehouses are the way to go for and this. So in fact, as you have said, Vijay, I mean, we will again, uh, second that, in fact, uh, say that the more compute you push on the cloud data warehouses from that purposes, the more closer it stays to the ecosystem, the easier it is for anyone to even consume such a system. When you talk about pushing compute into data warehouses, uh, which is which is the model we subscribe to, you know, you want to keep data in one place, you want to compute it, you want to push down compute as much as you, you can. Um, but uh, one of the uh, emerging challenges uh, with cloud data warehouses is costs. 
right? Particularly runaway costs. You know, you mm-hmm. somebody runs something before you know it. Um, you know, the cost is spiraling. So when you look at data observability, a solution, uh, you must be looking at cost too. It's not just about quality, but it's also cost. Is that part of your observability solution? Absolutely. Because as we just give that sort of an, uh, thought process, right? Your goal is if you have a quality issue, you don't want to just say, I'm going to fix it. You want to ask, should I even be fixing it? Likewise, if you have a data here, you should be perhaps asking, you know, is this data serving a purpose? And yes, if it is going to cost me $10,000, let's say to get data in, there better be a multiplier of that on the other side, which is going to use it for that purposes. Otherwise, it's, it's, not, it's not really the right thing to do. So for us, Cost and understanding the cost uh, rationale is super critical because it helps us, again, establish the viewpoint that should this data even be here at all? And, and, and if it is, then how should it come in? And just to, to give some examples, what we saw, in fact, these are like staggering examples and not to like n- nothing to call out a specific warehouse, but um, there was one uh, company we talked to and uh, they mentioned that over the weekend, they had some four runaway queries, and uh, it cost them seventy thousand pounds. Now it doesn't even matter pounds or dollars at the conversion, but that number was just so staggering. And this is really uh, uh, like like really something you have to watch out for all the time. In, in a cloud data warehouse. That's why it's no longer like a Gmail kind of a model. Like cloud data warehouses, in my opinion, it should not be treated like that. That continue to accumulate and then, you know, figure out what's coming and then work with it. Doesn't work because anything which sits there will cost someday somewhere to somebody. And, and the idea is to continue to eliminate uh, as much as possible and keep it running. Now, there was another example which we saw, which uh, even for a much smaller company, like startup, and what had happened was that they had, uh, it's just not the operation was simply push data into a table. It's the way they did it. And what they found was that uh, that it was about $800 a day decision. So, which means that if they had found this issue every day, they waited, it was another you know, close to $1,000 a day. And if they had found it at the end of billing cycle, it was about $10,000 later, it was a lot. So in a cloud data warehouse, we are extremely, say, you know, be extremely, super watchful of understanding you know what their model is what the how the what kind of compute you're doing what is really how is this data important and relevant and stay on top of it so revify we said there's no way you can have that's why we are not data observability we, as, as a sandbox we said it's really much much uh, bigger uh, than that because it really brings into picture all of this it brings into picture the the quality it brings into uh, the cost aspects and also performance and usage characteristics all in one place. I can totally relate to the cost examples you're talking about, Ray. You, you know, you find out at the end of the billing cycle that there was this thing that's been running for 20 days that shouldn't have been running and it's, it's, it's blown up your bill. And even a small startup like ours, we struggle with keeping track of that. And then it goes back to what you said about the need for zero touch. And nobody has the time to be looking at every single cluster, every configuration, every data warehouse. No one has the time, right? Uh, even in a large company with well-staffed teams, there just isn't time uh, to keep watching everything. And you want people to be able to spin up things, spin down things. This is the beauty of elasticity and cloud and so on. 
but then uh, cost can get out of control very quickly. So that zero cost where I just tell a system, hey, watch watch on my behalf and let me know when there's a problem, uh, it's absolutely important. Well, I think, Vijay, you brought it out very well. I think, again, like the whole, like your goal is to build an amazing product analytics company. <laughs> you shouldn't be thinking, you know, how much warehouse I'm spinning and this shouldn't be really at the top of the mind. So, so for us, it's actually extremely natural. This is why we said, is it we want to really, if we look at the data team's persona and their mission, right data, right time, right cost, we want to take care of it all and empower them to do that. And you have to do all of it to do so, to, to do a justice. But, uh, and then like, it, it's, uh, cost is a huge thing. I mean, to be very fair, simple things can make a huge difference in cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what Vijay and you were just really reiterating here was that level four automation for you know, any company, regardless of size, particularly the small ones like us, who don't have the time to identify this cost leakage uh, in the system. So I'm actually fascinated by this platform that you're building and, you know, to be able to ha- unlock this capability just to, in the zero touch model, um, identify, uh, the, these, uh, data quality issues. Are there specific AI, ML technologies, maybe even perhaps generative AI, which is all the buzz these days that you've built into the platform to actually help your users identify, uh, the cost issues in, in their cloud data warehouse? Yeah, so um, the way I think, Thomas, I'll draw this analogy here, right? So if, let me actually walk through the customer shoes, right? And come back to the cost piece. So suppose this customer had to actually pick. So this was a Revify customer who, like, over this $800 a day query. And they had to do nothing. All they needed to do was just set up Revify. It took them two minutes. And the system was doing it all on their behalf. Now, if they had to go and say, you know, here, watch out for cost here, look for these tables, look for these patterns, any of these things, it wouldn't have been possible. Because even if they take the effort to do it on day one, it's not going to happen on day two, it's not going to happen on day 30. So automation is the super, like, it's critical to getting it out, right? And what matters is really, you know, making sure it comes at the right time as soon as possible to, without them spending any effort. So for us, Everything, if you think the level for automation, it actually screams uh, AI and ML because the whole point is that you can't build a zero death system, right? And take it off the ground unless you have a lot of AI and ML running behind the covers. So for us, the Revify system is completely, I would say, very strongly uh, driven with this mantra that, you know, how much can we automate? How much can we learn? What do we know of the domain? That's where our entire, our own experiences comes into play. Like I didn't call it out earlier, but my co-founder Sashank, who was also part of the founding team for ThoughtSpot, he took a detour and he in fact spent four years at uh, Meta where he proposed this whole area of automated data quality. And when you are working at that scale and that level where they have better by extra, I don't know, exabytes of data when there are millions of tables and tens and thousands of stakeholders of data uh, versus the data teams. There is a lot of learning which we get there. So the Revify platform we built was, that is why we were able to hit the, we, we hit the ground running with, you know, we knew what to build, we knew exactly what mattered. And then we knew what to learn and how to push it out. So if you look at the general like ML and the AI techniques, that is extremely pervasive. And everything you do and don't do in our platform, we learn and we figure out how to uh, how to make it again. Our intent is to give you the minimum false alerts, like 
maximize our signals uh, there. And, and that's really uh, super cool, cool to, critical for us. You talk about this learning system where you have to constantly be looking at the data, you know, understanding patterns and so on. Um, but that also uh, poses a challenge in the sense that um, you want the system to be non-invasive. Right? You don't want to come in the way of uh, workloads that the warehouse is serving, for example. So if this observability system is you know, it's putting more load on the warehouse or, or slowing down other applications that are in production on the warehouse, that's a challenge. So how do you, how do you make this non-invasive? I think you're going a little bit into some of our secret sources, but throw in some numbers because it will bring into perspective what is super critical for us, right? And then it comes back into architecture decisions. So there are a few things, again, like when you said you're going to save your time and money, we talked about time zero touch. We also talk about money. I can't save you money if I build a system which can, uh, which can, which has unpredictable costs to itself, like TCO. So when we started Verify, we said, hey, how much can we do for, let's say, a price of less than a, nowadays, easily less than a coffee a day. So how much can we, value can we get to you? And the system is built to be a progressive model, which means that it operates at super low TCO today, which means extremely, uh, in uh, I would say, non-invasive, not just in terms of the compute it puts on your warehouse, but also how much uh, additional cost it incurs. And it, this is very close to our heart and it's completely baked into our architecture. So generally we have a philosophy that don't ask for the same thing twice. Make sure you don't ask for anything unless it serves a purpose. And those really go into defining our system like us, which, which is really uh, plays into this. The, the, the simple thing is be extremely, uh, I would say, stingy when it comes to how much compute you're uh, incurring on behalf of anybody else. So, yes, we take very good care of that. And the best part is, as part of observability, whatever Revify incurs, it is there out in the product for people to see by themselves. They don't need to guess. It's, it's there. How many credits we use, for example. It's Snowflake, how much time we spent. Everything is it's out there. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the fun part here, Vijay. Yeah, so it sounds like um, just through this, this discussion here, you've mentioned many things that are um, pushing the boundaries of classic data observability, right? We talked about AI machine learning, um, cost really being a, uh, a first class driver and benefit within your platform. Maybe you can, um, take a look into the future of, you know, what Revify is building, how, how the, sh the landscape for data observability is changing in terms of additional pieces, uh, that should become foundational, uh, as a capability of a platform for data observability. So a uh, few things which comes to mind, and I know Thomas, you had mentioned Gen AI piece, right? So I'm going to sort of bring it up. So naturally, we are a startup. We are we have having a great time working with Gen AI technologies, and there is a lot there to be very fair, which we can derive a lot of value from, and also in the process, we'll also bring that value to our customers. Some things we'll keep a little bit under wraps for now. Let's let's imagine that. But there's a many, uh, like, it's a very direct, like, the way we look at it is uh, directly impacts, you know, uh, the space we are in and uh, very, very strong connect with the value prop. But there are a few things which I would say are even foundational, irrespective of, you know, what happens in, in that space down the road, is that what has happened with this, uh, the evolution of AI is really democratizing the models, all right? It's now out there. 
No, it's actually the model is more considered as uh, it's 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 the uh, it's like everybody has it, and your data is really the differentiator. And thanks to amazing like ChatGPT and others, also coming in the space, which means that the onus now is more on ensuring that the right data goes in into feeding these models. Because you definitely we don't want uh, a garbage in garbage out kind of a model in this case. Like when you're building this. Uh, Open AI calls, vector. You need to know how to build the prompts, and we have to need to understand. So, what we have always was very close, even in the classic ML and the AI world, understand the data drift. All those problems are, I would say, there, and even more so because it's all getting democratized very quickly. So, that's an area where we know again, like Verify will, it continues to, and even today, it plays a big role. In understanding what data goes in into such cases, that's why we talked about the consumption of the data. Who is using it? We, once you have a handle, you know how to even make sure it is it's, uh, it's, it's the right things coming in. But overall, there's a lot of fun stuff. But I think Thomas, you already talked about you know what would we want from such a platform, right? Which is not just about data quality. It's really to have things come to you when it matters the most. And that's why we just summarize it in our philosophy. It's all about right data, right time, right cost. And we'll go to different personas, expand it as you move forward in the journey. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Sanjay. Um, it, it was wonderful uh, uh, hearing from a, a tech leader, data leader like yourself, uh, who's innovating in the data observability space. Our, our listeners are going to be uh, fascinated by many of the insights that you shared with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, uh, Thomas. And thanks, Vijay. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sanjay. Always a pleasure talking with you. You're a deep thinker, uh, you know, a, a great thought leader in the space. It's been a fantastic uh, uh, episode. Thank you so much and uh, wish you all the very best with Revify. Thank you. And same to you as well. That must have been a great conversation. It's like old buddies getting back together. <laughs> here live on the analytics edge. Um, why don't you uh, take a second, let's collect our thoughts here. A lot was uh, discussed here today. What were your key takeaways uh, from today's uh, discussion? Yeah, Tom, uh, you know, it's always fun talking to Sanjay. He's, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's a deep thinker and, uh, and great, great, uh, great perspectives. Uh, a couple of things, I think one thing, the sort of the sheer magnitude of the data quality problem, you know, he's talking about an average enterprise spending $10 million a year, 50% of their resources is gone in just data quality challenges. And that's, that's staggering. You know, we know it's a large problem, but to really, uh, give it a number like that, you know, puts it in perspective. Um, the, uh, the, the question we asked him about, you know, what is the, why is it such a big challenge? You know, there's, there's obviously, you know, the data number of data sources exploded, the volume, the velocity and the variety of the data. Um, but there's one interesting thing uh, that I think is important to remember is the shelf life of data is very short these days. Um, so that's very key. It's not just about you know volume of data and how do you collect and store and manage and uh, make sure that it's accurate, but it's also how do you figure out what data is useless that deserves to be thrown out, right? It's not relevant after a certain period of time. So how do you how do you get rid of data? That's that's equally a big problem. Yeah, yeah. For me as well, when he was talking about the purpose of data, right, is where you focus your data quality efforts on. And that obviously ties directly to the business and the trust in the system 
And uh, I really liked the answer he gave to my question around, you know, perfect being the enemy of good, right? Um, you know, these are ongoing simultaneous projects in data quality and data observability that need to happen. But at the end of the day, you know, business still goes on. Um, we still need to, if we're going to be a data-driven organization, we need to be running the analytics and getting actionable insights uh, out of that data. Um, and, and where there are data quality issues, they're known, and directional guidance is oftentimes um, the, the, the best answer, right? There really is no optimal solution. The data underneath you and your business is changing so fast, uh, but you need to ensure that you are moving uh, in the right direction at all times. Yeah, he talked about um, zero-touch data observability and drawing an analogy to level four automation in, in, in autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that analogy was very good, but it got me thinking, um, it makes sense for data observability. You know, nobody has time to be watching every query, every configuration, every cluster. You want some system that's, that's humming along, you know, watching the system. But, um, you know, the same type of thing is probably relevant for analytics, too. If you sort of take that to one level higher to some of the things we're doing, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a challenge for somebody to go in and dig through the data, do slice and dice it, you know, build reports and, and finally get to an insight. And, you know, this idea that uh, with emerging technologies in generative AI and LLMs, uh, this idea that uh, you could have a zero touch analytics, if you will, where you know, the system is automatically looking at things and understanding kinds of things that you're interested in, automatically pushing insights to you. Um, so that is probably, you know, interesting, uh, you know, higher up the stack too uh, for, for the kinds of things we're doing in analytics. Yeah, absolutely. The, the applications of AI machine learning, while well, all the buzz, uh, as we've discussed on previous episodes, many of these technologies have been around for decades already, uh, but it's amazing to see uh, the commercialization of it, the, the, the widespread adoption, mainstream awareness of it uh, is really going to innovate every level uh, of the data and analytics stack. And the final perspective for me is, um, is it on cost? You know, it is, a, it is emerging, um, as, as a big problem in enterprises as more and more, uh, um, you know, cloud resources are being spun up around data, uh, managing costs effectively is, is, is a huge challenge for companies. So, so his, his idea of, you know, broadening the umbrella of observability is not just about quality, but it's also about cost. You know, the, the, the right data at the right cost. I think that's, uh, that's very important. And, um, so I, I think they're touching upon something that's going to become increasingly more and more important. Yeah. That's also a very interesting, uh, dilemma that has, uh, reared its head here, uh, where cloud was supposed to help us save cost. New opportunities have arisen as companies now want to actually control and better manage uh, their cloud data warehouse costs. That concludes today's show. Thank you for joining us and feel free to reach out to Vijay or I on LinkedIn or Twitter with any questions. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>